Well, good evening. And say, as always, it's a great delight to have the opportunity to preach God's Word and really to study it all week and to bring forth what it is that uh, God has for us in His Holy Word. We are uh, going through the book of Galatians right now. Pastor Greco started us off last week um, going through the first nine verses of chapter one. I'll be picking up where he left off uh, in verse 10 and finishing off through the chapter. I'll read it and then I will pray for the Lord to bless us. Paul says this starting in verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none, other, none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please bless us tonight. Give us something that we can be truly grateful for. The Lord Jesus Christ, risen and in glory, who is our only hope of salvation. Lord, may we worship him. May we delight in him. May we give you all the glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. There's one principle that I think most of us are familiar with. It's uh, somewhat of a sad principle, and it goes something like this. It is much easier to discredit someone than it is to thoughtfully engage with that person's ideas. That is to say... It's a lot easier to mock, to ridicule, to criticize someone personally and attack them rather than to debate with them or to engage with what they're actually saying. And we see this all over the place. I can give you two quick illustrations. If you ever see the way little, little children interact with one another, you'll see that principle. And if you turn on the news, you'll see the same principle applied in the world of politics. But it's not just a problem that we deal with in these areas of our lives. We deal with this problem in many places. And this is a problem that Paul himself ran into. You see, last week, Pastor Greco opened up the book of Galatians. And Paul was deeply worried because false teachers had come into the church of Galatia. 
And they had begun to distort the gospel by putting forth a man-centered gospel that required obedience to the law in order to be saved. But they didn't just stop there with the false gospel. What else they did is they attacked Paul personally. They aimed their arrows at Paul in an effort to discredit Paul. And this made their task a lot easier, you see. Because if you can discredit Paul and make Paul seem like nothing, then what is the gospel that Paul preaches? It is nothing as well. And so Paul gives a response back to this argument against his character and against his credentials. And we need to be careful because Paul isn't doing this because he's arrogant. He's not doing this because he desperately cares about what people think about him. He, he is not the kind of person, as you can imagine, who really cares about being popular with everyone all of the time. No, he's not after popularity, but really his main concern is to honor God. It's to defend the gospel that he preaches. And we see this heart of Paul in the first verse of our text. Look at Galatians 1.10. This is really the heart of his message. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You can see him there. He's not looking to gain the approval of anyone discrediting him. But rather, his sole concern, his burning desire is to please God and to be a servant of God and to do whatever he can to protect and defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Paul comes to this situation with the Galatian church, he knows that the Christians there are confused. They have begun to doubt the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't know exactly who to believe, Paul or these other teachers that have come in after him. And he wants to assure them that the gospel that he once preached to them can be trusted because it's God's gospel. Well, how does Paul defend himself in this text? I've got just two points for us. I've got two points, and they're a bit lopsided tonight. I have a, a big point, and then I have a small point. Big point and a small point. Uh, first, Paul's gospel came from Christ. That's the first and major line of defense. He is making the claim that his gospel came from Jesus Christ himself. And then secondly, Paul's gospel glorified God. In other words, you could say Paul's gospel actually did the job. It actually worked and brought glory to God. Well, let's begin with our first point, that Paul's gospel came from Christ. And he spends a bit of time first telling us that the gospel did not come from any other man. Look at what he says in verse 11. He says, For I would have you know, brothers... That the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. He's absolutely clear here. The gospel that I preach to you is not of man. It is not originating from man. It was not created from man. Literally, the word he uses here is that the gospel is not according to man. It's not a gospel according to man. And this is important for us to see because... There's so many man-made gospels in this world. There's so many gospels we encounter that are gospels according to man. Gospels that emphasize our own works, for example. 
Gospels that emphasize our own abilities, our own perceived needs over against the grace and the glory of God. But Paul is reminding us that there is only one true gospel in this world full of counterfeits, and it's the gospel according to God. Well, then he says in verse 12, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So here Paul is trying to answer this question, how do you know that the gospel I preached is actually the one true gospel according to God? And he gives this answer that it was given to him by none other than Jesus Christ himself. He says it first negatively. He says the gospel was not received from man. Nobody taught him the gospel. Nobody gave the gospel to Paul. I think we need to pause here and just ask, what is Paul actually saying here? Is Paul trying to tell us that there was no person that taught him the content of the gospel? Is that what he's saying here? And I don't think the answer to that question is, is yes. We know that Paul had heard the gospel from other men before. We know, for example, that he was at the stoning of Stephen. Recall Stephen being stoned in Acts chapter 7. He preached the gospel, and Paul was there to hear it. No, Paul likely had heard about the claims of Jesus. He knew what Christians were saying, that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus had died, that Jesus had risen from the grave in glory. But the problem is, is that he didn't believe those men. He didn't believe the gospel. No man was convincing to Paul. Instead, Paul says, I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, the one who got through to him was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He says, I received it through a revelation. And what does he mean by that? Well, it can mean really one of two different things. Paul could be saying, well, I received a revelation from Jesus. That is, that Jesus is the one giving Paul a revelation of the gospel. Or it could mean that Jesus himself was the revelation. That Jesus himself was revealed to Paul. And I think the answer is that it is Jesus himself that was revealed to Paul. He even confirms this for us a little bit later in verse 16. He says that God was pleased to reveal his son to me. And now, if we've read the scriptures and we know all of the popular stories, we, we likely already know what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the time that he encountered Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. He's remembering that great moment of his life where the risen Jesus Christ appeared to Paul in glory and frankly scared him. Knocked him off of his horse, where Jesus himself confronted Paul at that time called Saul, saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He confronted him that day, and he then commanded him to be a preacher of the gospel. Jesus himself had come to Paul, and we know from Acts 9 that that event changed Paul forever. He became utterly convinced of the truth of the gospel. He had been called and commissioned by Jesus Christ to be an apostle for the glory of God. Paul had encountered a risen and glorious Jesus, 
and Jesus himself gave the gospel to Paul. It was no other man. But then Paul makes this argument in another way. He says, not only did I not receive the gospel from other men, the gospel wasn't something that I came up with, Paul says. And here is where he uses his own life story to illustrate this point. He begins to say how they know his backstory in verse 13. He says that I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Everybody knew the story of Paul. It was common knowledge to those that he preached to that Paul at one point hated the church. He wasn't just indifferent about it. He wasn't just ambivalent toward the, toward the gospel. He hated Christians. And he was known at that time as a fearsome enemy, as a violent persecutor of all that Christ had stood for. He was not somebody you wanted to run into if you were a Christian back in his young days. And he continues on telling his life story. He says in verse 14, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. And on the surface, that sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Paul's saying, well, I was this bad man who used to kill Christians, but I was zealous and I was, I was very intelligent and I knew the traditions of my fathers. And on the surface, we think he might be saying something good, that he was smart and passionate. But he's actually using those as negatives in his life. He's saying that when he had his former life, he was pursuing a man-centered gospel. He was part of the, the pharisaical religion that had misinterpreted the Old Testament to be this law book where you would be saved by your obedience it really was the religion of the Pharisees, something that Jesus himself had spoken very harshly against. For example, in Mark chapter 7, verse 9, Jesus says to the Pharisees this, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. These are biting words from our Lord. And Paul is saying that I was very intelligent and very zealous for that gospel, for that man-made gospel. In other words, Paul was smart, but he pursued a false gospel. He was zealous, but he wasn't zealous for the truth. And I do think there's something we can learn from the life of the apostle Paul here. It's a reminder to us that intelligence and passion and hard work are important things, but only if they're directed by true only if they're guided by the truth of God's holy word. What Paul is really doing here is he's making the case that because of the life he lived, the gospel could never have come from such a person like who Paul used to be. He had no business being an apostle. But then he makes this claim in verse 15 that the only reason he is an apostle at all is because of the grace of of God. Look at, look at how he marvels at God's grace in verse 15 and 16. He says, He who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. In other words, Paul was saying, I had no business ever being an apostle, but I was chosen for this task. Even before I was born, Christ had chosen him and set him apart from birth. And then in the course of his life, 
Christ had called him according to his grace. And he had given him the gospel. God had given him Christ himself. And so the only reason Paul says, I'm, I'm an apostle at all, that I have this gospel to begin with, is because of the grace of God. There's a really beautiful irony here. Remember, Paul is defending himself. Paul is staring down people who are calling him out, and he's defending his own name, but how does he do it? By talking about his old life of sin. By talking about how far he was from the glory of God. It's interesting how he's willing to talk about that. I wonder how it is that we respond when others criticize us. When we have to go on the defensive, are we willing in those moments to admit our own faults, our own sins? Are we willing to decrease ourselves because it highlights the grace of God and it makes him increase? Well, Paul's gospel, it didn't come from other men. It didn't come from himself. And then he makes kind of a third minor argument here. He says the gospel didn't even come from the other apostles, saying the other apostles didn't make me an apostle either. This is what he begins to do in verse 16. He says this uh, through 16 and 17. He says, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And when I think this is a very strange thing for Paul to say, why is he just talking about his trip to to Damascus, for example. But he has a purpose for it, and it's something like this, that there was probably a complaint being lodged against Paul, that those who were bringing a false gospel in, they were criticizing him as a secondary apostle. They were saying, you know that guy Paul who first brought you the gospel? Well, he's really not as great as the other apostles, right? He's no Peter. He's no, he's no James. He's no John. He's an apostle light. He's apostle junior, right? And so you really don't have to listen to everything that Paul taught you. But Paul is showing us that this is emphatically not true. Paul couldn't be made an apostle by the other apostles. He says, I already was one. They just happened to be apostles before him. And so he tells us that right when he was commissioned by Christ, he got to work, didn't he? He went immediately to do the work of an apostle. He went into Arabia. He went into Damascus. And if you go read the accounts of what he was doing in Acts chapter 9, you'll see. He was preaching the gospel. He was going into the synagogues. He was reasoning with the Jews. He was telling people about Jesus Christ. He didn't go immediately running to the other apostles for their agreement. In verse 18, he goes on, he says, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. So after three years, he decides, even though he doesn't need the approval of Peter, it's still important for him to go and to meet the other apostles. He still sees value in camaraderie with the other apostles. And you can only imagine, Peter says, or uh, Paul says he spent 15 days with Peter, and, and you can imagine what it was that they were doing. I like to think that in these days of Peter and Paul together in Jerusalem for the first time, 
that they're just mutually benefiting each other and building each other up in ministry. You can imagine Paul being this brilliant genius of the Old Testament, and he's explaining to Peter so much about the intricacies of the Old Testament. And then you can imagine Peter, who lived with Jesus and knew so much about him, telling him more stories of what Jesus had done. We see here that they are equals as apostles, yet very likely that as they spent time together, they benefited from one another. They learned from one another. They built one another up. But Paul's point here is really clear. He didn't go to Jerusalem for a job interview. He wasn't interviewing for the position. He wasn't trying to prove himself to Peter and to the other disciples. He actually says, I didn't even meet all of them. He says, the only ones I met are Peter and James. And then because this is so important to him, he swears by it. Paul doesn't swear a whole lot. And when he does, we should think about why it was so important for him to do that. He says, in what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. It was really important for the Galatian church to hear this. Paul didn't receive his gospel. He didn't want his apostolic authority to be questioned. He didn't want to be seen as a junior apostle or somehow lesser because he didn't want the gospel itself to be suspect. You see, Paul's motivation throughout this whole text is for the Christians in Galatia. He wanted to encourage them. They were struggling. They didn't know which way to go. They didn't know who to believe. And he wants to give them confidence and assurance in the gospel that he preached. And that's a confidence that you and I can have as well. Even though we have never met the apostle Paul. That is to say that when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he appeared to many witnesses. He appeared to many witnesses in his risen and glorious state, and he commissioned men to be preachers of his glory. Then he filled them with his Holy Spirit and sent them out to speak truth and to make disciples. And their testimony is recorded for you in God's word today. You can read it for yourself. You can trust that you have God's gospel. It came from Jesus himself. Well, I told you at the beginning of my sermon that that was my big point. I have a tiny point now. And it's the second thing that Paul's gospel glorifies God. Look at what he says in verses 21 through 24. He says, Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Paul's reminding us that the gospel he preached actually works because it's God's gospel. It's not a fake gospel that he preached. It actually resulted in tremendous and incredible things. It brought faith to those that heard it. It transformed those who believed its message. The gospel saved people from their sins. It brought them into the very family of God, and it made them see how incredible God was, perhaps for the very first time in their lives. Don't miss this point that Paul is making. False gospels 
don't bring any glory to God whatsoever. Why should they? Man is at the center. Man is glorified in every false gospel. Later, Paul will even expose the false teachers in this very way. A little bit later in Galatians chapter 4, he's going to say this about these false teachers. He says, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, false teachers, make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Their motivation was to be made much of, Paul said. Their own motivation was to be at the center and to have self-glory. And Paul is reminding us that that actually proves their gospel is false. That proves that their gospel is worthless. Because the true gospel glorifies Christ alone. It puts his grace at the very center of the story and it magnifies the name of Jesus Christ only. The people of Judea saw this. They saw Paul preaching the gospel, and they're seeing this man, and they're stunned. They say, this is the guy who used to try to kill us. And now God has changed him. He's subdued him, and he even preaches through him. And who do they glorify? Paul? No. They glorify God. One uh, helpful thing to do whenever you're reading the Pauline letters, is always go back to Acts and see how the story of Acts partners up with what Paul is saying, because you get a different side of the story. Both true, but a different side. And this is one example of that. We have in Acts the same story of Paul preaching in Judea and the result of it. This is from Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Luke writes this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. God's gospel works. It brought peace. It brought growth. It brought fear of the Lord. It brought comfort from the Holy Spirit. Are these the things that you desire to see for yourself? Are these the things you want to see happen in you and around you? Do you want to see individuals saved from their sins? Do you want to see families walking together in the fear of the Lord? Do you want to see whole communities bursting with praise and glorifying God? Paul is saying the way to accomplish that is to let the gospel go forth. Preach the gospel. Share the gospel of God. And pray diligently for its spread. I think we should leave with this encouragement tonight as we have seen the power of the gospel. That when we tell others the gospel, when we in any way bring the gospel, we're bringing the very work of God to bear on ourselves, our families, our communities, to those around us. And we know that his gospel produces amazing fruit. When the true gospel of God is preached, people will be changed. People will be transformed. And most importantly, God will be glorified. Let's pray.